Hello, listeners. I'm Zach. And I'm Valina. And we're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to This House Was Never Meant to Be a Podcast. We're going to be covering all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on. And today, we will be continuing Tales from the Dark Side with the episode, Bigelow's Last Smoke. So I'm going to jump into the cast and crew. Now, we've seen this name several times before in this show, and that is Michael McDowell. He is the writer of the teleplay for this particular episode. You may recognize his name from previous episodes, such as Slippage, which he actually wrote the short story that it was based on. I do not believe he was actually involved in the writing for the episode proper. He wrote Inside the Closet. He wrote the episode, this is the teleplay and the story for Answer Me, which I'm willing to forgive. And the teleplay for, of course, Word Processor of the Gods, which I don't blame him for. So this episode is actually really good. He did the teleplay, not the episode and the writing itself. But I have since been more exposed to Michael McDowell's work. I've not actually like read any of it myself, but he has written a very popular horror book called The Elementals, which I've heard good things about and I kind of want to give it a read. So Michael McDowell. Yeah. Our main character, Bigelow, is played by Richard Romanis, who I don't know who he does like i've not watched any of the movies that he's played in but he's known for playing michael in mean streets and harry canyon in heavy metal which is like a 2000s era kind of movie it's actually a bunch of shorts i want to say it's like a bunch of short animated stories that is set to heavy metal one of those being um I want to think Flaming Telepaths or maybe Veteran of the Psychic War uh, by one of my favorite bands, Blue Oyster Cult. And of course, Dr. Synapsis, a.k.a. the man on the television, who's played by Sam Anderson, who's played in Forrest Gump and um, Water for Elephants and stuff. And finally, we have Catherine Battistone, and I probably just just skewered her name and she plays for like 10 entire seconds in this episode as a voice on a radio show and oh my gosh she has so much anime under her belt she is a voice actress she plays tons and tons of like small roles and additional voices but like oh my gosh she's in so much to name a few she's in ghosts in the shell standalone complex mars daybreak wolf's reign of the 12 kingdoms fist of the north star like she's been in a whole ton she's also starting columbo and a murder she wrote and she's been on the crew, quite possibly as a sound techie, for Blades of Glory, one of my favorite movies, Dead Silence. It's great to let anyone tell you otherwise. Uh, Monster House, Mean Girls, not at the museum. So she's really done a whole lot. I mean, I, I was kind of shocked because she's like literally in this show for two seconds as a voice on the radio. So she's pretty cool. So that was a whole lot of information. Zachy, say something before I just delve into the plot. <laughs> uh... I've got nothing to add. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head. Yes. So those are our cast and crew. Now, this is really a kind of two-man show here. We really only have two main characters who actually consistently show up. And as you might note from, like, what I said about the talk show host lady, the rest are just kind of voices. There is another guy. Uh, the character's name is Matthews, and he's played by Howard Dayton. And this dude is not in a whole lot. For example, in 1960, he was in a Believe is a Claymated movie called Dinosaurs with a exclamation point. 
and he played a character named Mousy, and that is all you really need to know about what his voice sounds like. Whatever you imagine is probably close, but everyone else is kind of just voices. So we have Dr. Synapsis, who I'm really just going to refer as the TV guy. He is the only one who actually shows up, and he's even then just a face on the television screen. Okay, dokie. Well, Valina, I guess without further ado, let's start this rehab trip from hell and dive right in. Yes. Okay, so it begins with the main character, who is Bigelow. Frank Bigelow. Um, I do not know if his name is referred to in the actual episode. Yes. I mean, Bigelow is, but Frank, I'm not really sure is. Uh, much like Columbo's first name, you have to find it from outside sources. <laughs> Actually, he says it in the episode. Columbo? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Bigelow. He, oh, he says that in the episode. He says his name's yeah. Frank? Yeah, that's how I found out it was Frank. Oh my gosh, I only knew his name was Frank from the IMDb page. Yeah, no. Okay. He introduces himself as Frank Bigelow. Oh, okay. Cause he, okay, so let's get started for real. <laughs> he wakes up and he slams his alarm clock off. It's 7.30 a.m. And he like grabs a remote that is right on his TV. No, nightstand. His, on his nightstand. <laughs> and... um. He tries to turn on the television and says, oh, let's see what kind of day it's going to be. And, of course, the TV is just static. And that's all it is. As he kind of gets up and he's looking through his drawers, he's looking for something. And he's trying to mess with the television and it's still just static. And then he says, I put two packs in there last night, which is, of course, referring to cigarettes. He's looking in his nightstand dresser drawer for cigarettes at 7.30 in the morning. I mean, I don't really know a lot about the habits of smokers, but that seems, like, really early. I don't know if you would be smoking that early in the morning. That seems almost extreme to me. But, like, again, I don't really know what you when you would smoke. But I don't know. That just sounds real weird. Like, waking up and just downing some alcohol. It just I, it feels a little early for that. So he goes into the bathroom and he closes the door. And then the television, which was staticky, suddenly has a dude's face. And he looks very disapproving. You know, he looks very disappointed. Like if he's a disappointed dad and Bigelow is his disappointing son. And Bigelow comes back in and now he's like wearing a robe, a bathrobe. He walks by. And of course, the second he walks in, the man disappears from the television. And as he walks by his coat that's hanging on like, coat stand the coat stand we don't have one so of course we don't know what it's called <laughs> he just starts like just grabbing up all over it and i'm like what the heck is he doing and then it's like oh he's checking the pockets because he's looking to see if he didn't leave the uh, cigarettes in the pocket and he of course finds nothing he sits down he pours himself some coffee and the tv turns on again with the guy staring at him and then suddenly he just says the windowsill and he gets up and runs to the window which he opens these vertical blinds and there's just this big scary music that starts playing and it's barred like the windows are completely barred and this is when the dude on the television he like smirks and then it goes back to static so he really can just come and go at will on the television i guess via static and then of course this is the kind of weird part here once bigelow sees that the windows are barred. He moves to these other windows that do not have blinds on them. And they're very obviously barred. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of funny that he wouldn't have noticed it. But then again, like, why would he think 
to really look when he's trying to get up he's looking for his cigarettes he hasn't had coffee yet so he's like really mentally elsewhere or his morning smoke Exactly. So he's very concentrated on finding the cigarettes and thinking about them. So it makes sense. It's just kind of funny, like, after this big revelation to find out that it wasn't really hidden all along. (laughs) But of course, we, the viewers, didn't notice because I don't think any of the windows were in shot previous to that. Oh, can we describe the room really quick just to get the audience a good idea of what we're looking at? Yes, yes. Give us a sense of place. The apartment that he's in is basically an open floor plan, almost single room. There's a bathroom, but everything else in the entire apartment is all open. So he sleeps in the living room, basically, across the kitchen. And there's the TV that we mentioned earlier is, like, embedded in the wall. Because, you know, back in the day, there wasn't, like, flat screen TVs that you could just mount on the wall and it'd be flush. They had all sorts of projection stuff on the inside the tube, and they'd basically just make a mount for the inside of the wall to put the TV into. So if you were to pull that TV out, it'd be a big hollow space in there. Mm -hmm. And there's like a sound system and everything, so it's a really fancy setup. And kind of made me wonder, is he fairly rich or whatever? I I mean, he he has to be if he... If you're going to afford that much on cigarettes. We'll find out later, but he smokes like three packs a day, so there's that. But I think he's rich because that TV is humongous. Mm-hmm. He also has like pushed into the wall, like you said, in the apartment. And it's huge. Think of how much like a humongous old tube TV in the 80s must have cost. So he probably is making bank. Not to mention he's got this kind of artsy like look to some of the walls. So that makes it almost seem like he's got good taste of sorts. I'm not really sure. I mean, if he does have good taste, I mean, I certainly wouldn't put any of that stuff on my walls. But then again, like, mm-hmm. all I have is, like, anime posters on my walls. So it's <laughs> like, I'm, like, the good taste expert. <laughs> but he's got a poster of a silhouette of swans making a little heart by his bed. Mm-hmm. You know? So we can only assume why that's there by his bed. <laughs> he's got this weird shifter puzzle artwork thing on his wall yeah slide puzzle art and like a weird art nouveau-esque picture of a woman in his kitchen except only her head Mm -hmm. and not like her body which would make it actually art nouveau yeah it's weird i guess his apartment's technically a studio yeah or something but yeah so that's what his place looks like so once he figures out that there's bars all over his windows He gets, of course, angry, and he runs to the door, and that's also barred. Mm -hmm. And, ooh, I almost forgot. Inside the windows, now we get a shot of this, is that they're literally filled with studio lights. So Mm -hmm. studio lights are pointed in through his windows, filling the room with light. So from afar, it looks like sunlight. But he runs to the door, there's also thick bars, and he gets really upset. He says, it's not possible And he goes to the phone and he grabs it and he kind of holds it up and is looking really confused. He he like presses a little button. He doesn't say anything, of course, and he just throws it down and then angrily punches the wall. Now, I I do want to break here and mention that it goes to show you how annoying certain episodes are with dialogue that Mm -hmm. I actually have to stop here and note that he doesn't say anything stupid like oh there's no dial tone or something what studio lights 
<laughs> yeah, we actually can tell from his actions and his facial expressions that there is no dial tone and that clearly the phone doesn't work. He doesn't have to tell us. Yes, like, I'll wait for the beep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so finally, an example of showing and not telling. Yes. Uh, a lesson oft forgot in Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah, I, I'm just going to take this extra, extra time to personally thank Timna Rannan which is the name of the director for this episode, for actually allowing the actor to convey what is going on without inane dialogue. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when he hits the wall, he realizes that it's hollow sounding. He hits it a couple more times, and then he just, like, kicks the bottom, and he opens up a big old hole, and it's plaster. It's not even like a wall wall, and there's, like, a mesh... It's chicken, like chicken wire. wire it's chicken wire. And he gets really mad. And he's like, this is in my apartment. It's a cage. And that's when the doctor, Dr. Synapsis, a.k.a. the TV guy, appears on the screen and says, Congratulations, Mr. Bigelow. You managed to figure out the very obvious. And the two of them proceed to have a kind of like mini argument about whether or not it's a cage or a prison or a simulacrum. Of his apartment, which the TV guy thinks is completely and utterly different from a prison or a cage. While, of course, it doesn't really make a difference to Bigelow what the heck it is, because this is not his apartment, and he's very upset. But the TV guy, aka Dr. Synapsis, says that he can leave once he gives up smoking. And Bigelow gets really unhappy about this, and he really he wants an explanation, which, of course, the doctor is not going to give him at this moment. So he tells him to look in his bedside table, which is that first place he looks, his little nightstand. So Bigelow goes over there, and the cigarettes that he could not find in there are now in there. Now, I want to say he went to grab the cigarettes because he's technically allowed to smoke. But the point of this whole simulacrum is that he's not going to be able to leave until he stops smoking. Quote, unquote. Of his own accord, right? So he, he can smoke as much as he likes, but he's going to want to stop if he wants to get out. So he, of course, is like, I don't have matches. And the TPI, like, points down and they're, like, in a drawer or something right beneath the television. Yeah. <laughs> right, kind of in an odd spot. But anyway, he pulls them out. He starts smoking. And I do want to mention, when he lights the matches to light a cigarette the doctor is watching him mm -hmm. like it's very clear that his eyes are following the motion of his hand and this is from the television screen so despite that not making any sort of sense the doctor can look at bigelow as though he can see him via the screen so which like, kind of builds towards a theory that we'll explain later at the end of the episode. Yeah, it's really weird and very unsettling, particularly in that moment. It's just creepy, you know, because he's kind of like huge because the television's big, but he's still looking at him as though he's there looking at him with his own eyes, which are only on the screen. It's weird. So anyway, he lights the cigarette and he smokes it for like a second. And then this alarm just starts screeching this horrible sound and i believe it says in this woman's voice put out the cigarette and the screen goes from having the doctor's face on it to having the word smoking demerits and a number one 
And of course, Bigelow leaps onto his bed and is kind of huddled in the corner. And he grabs his ashtray and he's putting it out. He's just terrified because this hasn't happened, of course, before. He's like, the heck? So that's actually like the end of that scene. The next scene, which starts with this sort of definite feeling of not knowing how much time has passed. He's just eating breakfast. I think he's actually changed clothes or he's like wearing actual clothes as opposed to his robe. And he's listening to the radio about this, I guess, story about this person and their dog. And some other voice on the radio responds to the TV hostess that he doesn't really care too much about the story itself. But now he really wants to know about the cost of cigarette smoking and cigarette related deaths and this and that. And Bigelow gets real mad. He's like, I don't want to listen to this propaganda. And he just leaps up and just grabs the radio and yanks it right off of the shelf. Instead of just turning it off, he just (laughs) yanks it out of the wall. And then he sees that the television, which I believe was static up until this point because it's always on, but it's either staticky or it has the dude's face on it. He notices that it is a shot of his countertop lined with packages of cigarettes. Now, this is a really neat shot, and we'll see more of it later in this episode, that our camera is actually staying on the television, which is showing a shot of the counter. Now, you see Bigelow, of course, is no longer in the frame, but he enters the frame of the television's view. So we see him on the television view trying to grab these packets of cigarettes as they're all like falling off the counter left and right yeah they're all falling off the counter like form swimmers yeah i'm gonna use a term this particular shot happens quite often so i'm going to give it a term okay if i say it's the television's point of view or we're in the television's point of view what i am saying is we are now looking at bigelow's television looking at bigelow Mm-hmm. Okay, or some area of the room. And that is the only thing that is being shown. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're watching a TV show of a TV watching someone. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you had a camera and you pointed it at a TV and the TV was security footage, that's what we're looking at. Okay, so it's very strange and it's a cool shot. But just to keep things clear, whenever this occurs, I'm going to say it is the television point of view or the point of view of the television. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now we move into the normal point of view. And Bigelow is just trying to pull a cigarette out of the box and cigarettes are flying everywhere. It's like, dude, just pull it out. But they go everywhere. He ends up with two and he ends up dropping one. And then he lights one. And then, of course... You know, alarm goes off again. Please put out that cigarette and the punishment will cease. All the while, there's these weird lights just kind of circling around onto Bigelow. Yeah. And he breathed in and he's like trying not to breathe the smoke out. So he goes to the kind of water... It's a water cooler. Water cooler. He has a water cooler in his house and he just grabs the water tank part and blows the smoke into the water tank, which still had a little bit of water in it and puts it back, which doesn't seem to help because like the very second the the alarm gets worse, he backs up into his door, which is actually open. And there's actually smoke in the room, which is weird. Yeah. 
I don't really know because it's not really coming from him. Which kind of makes me wonder if that was a production mistake. I kind of wonder, yeah, because there's too much of it for it to be coming out of his cigarette and it's coming from the wrong direction. It is coming in from the left side of the screen when Bigelow is on the right and you can see the cigarette in his hand. So it's not coming from him and it's not coming from the tank that he breathed it into. So just smoke is just randomly happening in his apartment for no reason. So he kind of waits it out. It stops. The alarm stops. And Bigelow defiantly says, what punishment? And breathes in a cigarette and looks around and realizes that all of his stuff is gone. Everything Mm. that was on the shelves, everything that was on the walls, like all, well, maybe not all of it. Like there's some things left. There's furniture. Yeah, it's gone. And he does have this old school looking computer on like this side countertop. And it's not plugged in, so even though he still has it, it doesn't work. Yeah, Um, initially it was just showing a bar graph. Yeah, just to tell you that it was on, I guess. (laughs) But now it's off and doesn't work. I think he has a magazine in a drawer that he looked into. And the TV, it turns back on, and it is our good old doctor again. And, of course, Bigelow is really headed up to here. He says, you know what? You can't do this. This is illegal. And the TV guy says, no, it's not. And then he lifts up this piece of paper and Bigelow's like, what's that? And he says, this is your signature. You signed a contract with us, Mr. Bigelow. You signed up with our clinic so you can stop smoking. And Bigelow is like, I didn't sign that. He thinks for a second. And then he's like, did you guys have commercials on the television? And the TV dude's like, now you're remembering. I do want to mention really quick, this segment Mm-hmm. Has a lot of important details for a theory that we both came up with about this episode. Mm-hmm. So keep an ear out for it and pick it up where you can. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So Bigelow recalls that he sent in for information because according to him, he got paranoid because his dad had died of lung cancer mm-hmm. and he was afraid that he would die of it next. And the doctor tells him that they hadn't been able to get to Bigelow when he sent for the information because they have a really long waiting list. And they were only just now able to get to him and put him in this program. And here, Bigelow actually asks, how did he get here? You know, in the simulacron. (laughs) Now, this is a funny thing. The doctor says, oh, so you don't remember what happened last night? And then he says nothing else about it. We do not get to know how in the world Bigelow was put into this place without his knowledge. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of funny because it's a bit lampshaded in that he does not explain anything. He only mentions that he doesn't remember and then doesn't say anything more. And Bigelow doesn't even question it. So that's just kind of swept under the rug. But that's kind of the important part where our discussion will be is like figuring out where is he and what actually is a simulacron. So Bigelow is a little bit intrigued and he actually asks, well, what's the success rate of your program? And the doctor says, it's 100%. When 100% of people who come in here do not leave with their addiction. And he says that they had actually patented their methods. And it's funny, Bigelow, upon hearing the success rate, looks actually surprised and kind of even impressed. He's like, wow, he didn't say it, but he has this like facial expression, which is kind of reluctantly impressed with this guy's ability. 
Uh, Because he did, of course, sign up for this. He did consider giving up smoking. And of course, I would still kind of doubt his actual having signed up for this. Because if he said he sent for information, then he didn't really sign the contract. Unless that was somehow part of the, you don't remember what happened last night part, you know, that he somehow signed in and then forgot that he did. Because according to Bigelow, that's definitely his signature. So who knows? We will discuss this, however, because it's a very interesting point. So the doctor says that he should consider this treatment a very bad tasting medicine and that he's really just going to have to want to quit. Like, there's really no way out. He's going to have to quit and that's it. So Bigelow just kind of tosses the magazine he was holding at the screen and the screen just goes staticky. And he just sits down on this chair that he has. It's like an armchair, but all the everything has been sucked out of it like there is no personality to this chair it's like this bluish white that is very hospital-esque it even has this crunchy sound to it when he sits down like it's got plastic on it Mm. like if you were to have an armchair at a hospital this is that armchair (laughs) so he once he turns around the static dissipates i guess and the doctor comes back on the television he looks very unimpressed his default expression and then it goes away Just split second of getting a disapproving look from the doctor before he goes. And then cigarette packets just start raining from the ceiling. And Bigelow kind of swerves around on his chair and he looks super happy about it as all the cigarettes are falling down. And then once he stops, he kind of stops looking so happy and he kind of just throws them down to the ground and just kind of gets like thoughtful. You know, he's thinking about things, maybe even a little suspicious. And again, not dialogue here. We just get to see from the actor's expression how he feels. He doesn't have to say, wow, this is amazing. More cigarettes for free. Oh, wait a minute. This is probably a trick. All those scenes you took for granted on other television shows and movies, you have to sit and appreciate them when they're here. Mm -hmm. So we get another new scene. Now, even though the previous scene also began with not knowing how much time had passed, The doctor gives you a hint by saying you don't know what happened last night, which means it's in the same day. Now, this next scene begins, and it feels like a whole lot of time has passed, but it is impossible to tell how much time has passed. So it begins with the camera panning across the kitchen counters all the way over to the television screen. Now, everything so far is completely barren. Even the color is gone, okay? It is like white, plain walls. And on the screen, it shows Bigelow. We've entered television point of view here, y'all. It shows Bigelow huddled in a very bare corner of his uh, apartment, wearing his shirt, is just a t-shirt and pants. And he's kind of huddled up in like a fetal position. And it kind of holds this for a good second here, just so you can truly feel like he's kind of losing it because he's just sitting there in the corner and looking completely hopeless of course the television has that security cam footage like look to it so it's just very desolate here he's covered in sweat yeah he's not having a good time and you hear and we're still on this point of view you hear a voice calling for bigelow now the shot leaves the television point of view and moves back to the normal point of view to show the hole that Bigelow had kicked in the wall earlier. Now the wall has literally nothing on it. There was once like a shelf there, but now it's completely barren. There's like not even any carpeting and you can see the points where there might have been something on the floor that they moved away. And then it moves the point of view switches back to Bigelow, a television point of view that is. 
shows him getting up to walk towards the hole. Now, this is where you start really noticing the weird stuff with the cameras here. Because Bigelow starts walking towards the camera and he gets far too close to it before the point of view switches from television point of view to the normal point of view facing the hole. And he walks from the almost too close is going to walk into the camera television point of view past it into the normal point of view which is literally impossible because he would have walked through a camera Mm -hmm. so that's not possible because if he was truly being monitored and we know he is because it's on his television there should be a camera right there where he was and there isn't because he walked past it so yeah he walked through it and that's just not possible so this is where the camera work starts becoming more dreamlike and nonsensical i don't even know if i would say nonsensical just dreamily impossible because of how he walked through it and not to mention how the doctor is able to stare at him through the screen (laughs) it makes things start to fall apart with the camera work and i don't mean that in a bad way Mm. mind you i I mean that you know where the heck are we what is a simulacron kind of falling apart it feels like you're starting to notice glitches in the matrix here (laughs) so he walks through the hole and the voice coming out of it is the voice of the guy that was on the radio show saying that he really only wanted to hear about the cigarette-related deaths and stuff. So he introduces himself as Matthews, and Bigelow doesn't really trust him. He's like, you're the dude on the radio. You are saying all that stuff about cigarettes. And Matthew is like, they forced me to say that. I had like a script and stuff. I'm here just like you, trying to quit my cigarette addiction. By the way, do you have any cigarettes? <laughs> And Bigelow's like, I have one left and it's also broken. And he's like, well, I got a match. Do you think you could just give me the cigarette and then I can give you the match? Bigelow's like, why in the world would I do that? If like, I that's a you- terrible trade. Yeah. So he actually just ends up sending the cigarette over and he does get the match back. And... This is actually where we learn Dr. Synapse's name. We learn the television guy is called Dr. Synapsis, which, I mean, clearly is not a coincidence. And he says that it's the interview right now. Tell him that you want to quit. And of course, Bigelow's like, wait, what? And then you get television point of view to see Dr. Synapsis. And I'm only saying that as the point of view because the entirety of the screen is taken up by the screen of the television with just the edges of the TV still seen so you know you're looking at the TV as opposed to like, say, seeing the television in the frame. Like the entire frame is now the television. So that's why I'm going to use that term here. So it kind of goes to Dr. Synapsis and he's just kind of like watching Bigelow talking by the hole and he clears his throat and Bigelow, of course, like quickly gets up and he like hides the cigarette in his belt loop. Belt loop. He does not use a pocket like a normal person does. He just tucks into the belt loop and I am shocked that it would stay there because how in the world would it stay there? I think the point is to have it not break. I guess. That is so weird. Like, I've only seen that ever in this television episode. I've never seen that in real life. Not that I would know if people do that, but just very strange to me and I just can't get over it. So he goes up there and he sits in the middle of, of course, the empty room. And Dr. Synapsis asks him, how much do you smoke, Mr. Bigelow? And he says, three packs a day. And this is hilarious where Dr. Synapsis 
reveals that he probably freaking knew that because he also knew the exact age Bigelow was when he started smoking and has a picture of him at that age smoking. So Mm. it's like, you want to know how much he smokes, and yet you know that he started smoking at the age of 15, which is horrible, and has a picture of him at the age of 15 smoking. So it's like, why did he even ask that? He should have just told him, because why ask what he already knew? Because it's even creepier that way, because he has the picture in his hands. Kind of makes me wonder if that isn't a picture of the real actor, just because why show him? You know what I mean? It just seems like a strange little thing to have, you know? Like, I don't know. It feels kind of strange. It makes me wonder if it wasn't really him. But he kind of almost puts him down for having been a kid with a cigarette dangling from his lips, like... I mean, I'm not to say that he's in the wrong for saying that that was a bad thing to do, but, like, it just feels kind of odd. It's like, there's nothing he could do about it now. You know, he was a 15-year-old kid. He's a full-grown adult. Like, it's too late to change that aspect. (laughs) But Bigelow uses this opportunity to agree with Dr. Synapsis and say, I I really do want to give up smoking. I don't want to smoke ever again. And Dr. Synapsis really does not believe him. He is smiling in this way that shows that he clearly knows that Bigelow is lying through his teeth. And he says, that's a promising attitude. And of course, I have to say this too. Bigelow is acting so very insincere, but in a realistically insincere way, you know, like someone who is lying would say, but not someone who is fake acting. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's insincere, not in a bad acting way, but, like, in a, this dude's lying and is trying to pretend like he is going to stop doing something that he loves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so the TV turns to static, and Bigelow turns. Now, this is a weird segment here, because it keeps switching from him being shown from the back in a normal point of view and from the front in the television point of view okay so it'll switch every so often so you're seeing him front and back in different points of view Mm -hmm. okay so it's really weird we're getting a lot heavier with the television point of view here so he sees and that is to say television point of view a packet of cigarettes in the corner of the room And he leans in to grab it. And we see him doing this from the back. And from the front, well, I guess it's no longer from the front. It's in that corner because the television point of view is now showing the cigarette and his hand entering the screen to grab them. So we all of a sudden hear uh, Matthews from the hole saying, it's a trap. And the point of view is now on the television. His hands are touching the cigarette box. And he really doesn't care. So he grabs it. He turns back to the hole and we're back into normal point of view. (laughs) If it sounds a bit disorienting, y'all, it kind of is when you're watching it because it's flippy flopping between like watching him through your television and watching him through his television on your television. So it's a bit weird. He runs back to the hole and Matthews says that he knows how to disconnect the alarm and he wants the entire box of cigarettes in exchange for this knowledge and bigelow says why should i do that what does it matter if it's disconnected or not if i can't even smoke and he's like well you can keep one cigarette 
And he's like, can I keep two? No. So he's like, okay. He tucks the cigarette into his little belt loop. He puts the whole box in. And he waits for Matthews to tell him the secret to turning off the alarm. And he says, zip. Zippo. (laughs) And the alarm just starts going off. Which is really funny because he didn't even... Didn't even smoke anything. Yeah, he didn't even smoke anything. He didn't do anything wrong. Like, they gave him that box of cigarettes. It's not like he put it there. So they're punishing him for grabbing and getting rid of most of the cigarettes. And he still gets punished for it. So he starts screaming into the hall. He's Matthew's name. And he's all like, are you part of this? You're trying to drive me crazy. And the alarm is going louder. And he, and I don't think it's actually saying put out that cigarette because he doesn't have the cigarette lit so he reaches up to grab the alarm and wow we got our one of our first shockers in this episode (laughs) (laughs) so the smoke alarm prop that is in this episode it's like a purplish gray color and it's got this like red light you know like a typical smoke alarm but it's focused on a handful of times but you only ever see it in the upper corner of the ceiling Mm mm-hmm Now, there is some, like, weird perspective going on, because if you look at it, we all know how big smoke alarms are, you know? They're a specific size, and they generally are this size. Yeah, they're like two hands laid together. Roughly. Thereabouts. (laughs) So, you see it in the corner, and we thought, like, it was probably normal smoke alarm size. When he reaches up to tear it down in that fit of rage, it is the size of a freaking dinner table. Yeah. It's, like, even bigger than a manhole cover. It's humongous. Like, it, it's huge. And it's, like, big. It's, like, like, a foot or two foot tall. Like, I couldn't begin to see how it's diameter. Maybe, like, a yard. Uh, like, a yard and a half. It's, like, three or four feet across. Yeah, this one. <laughs> that's pretty much how much yours is. Yes. It's like a yard long and like Gotta a Gotta put it in American bald eagles. Yes. So you can understand why he was so disturbed by how loud it was because it's humongous. So he just reaches up there, he pulls it off and he starts tearing wires out. And once he's taken enough down, he starts beating the pieces of debris on the ground with pieces of itself until the alarm actually ceases. He picks up his little cigarette, it's broken in half, and he just holds it together with his fingers. He... Digs around the debris, because he had dropped it, which is how it broke. And I think he also finds his match in there. And I think mm. that was the match that Matthews had given him earlier. And he lights the cigarette. And I believe at this moment, again, we're actually looking at him through the television point of view. Because I actually remember noting that the camera work moved slightly as he was moving. So, yeah, he's actually still technically being watched here. And then, once he lights it and breathes in... The alarm goes off again, and he looks up, and the alarm is perfect condition, still there. So he just starts screaming, he just plasters himself against the wall and screaming, and then he wakes up screaming. He looks around his apartment, all this stuff is back, his alarm's going off, you know, he hits it off. It says 7.31 now, and he reaches into his drawer, and he pulls out his pack of cigarettes, He goes to get one and he shocks himself by realizing he actually doesn't want them. And he actually does say this. He says, I I don't don't feel like smoking. And then he kind of puts it down and then just looks up thoughtfully and says, I have no desire to smoke. 
And he just sort of like, okay, that's weird, right? This is a three-pack-a-day smoker. And he just he woke up without the desire to smoke at all. Mm-hmm. So he just gets up. He just kind of mumbles around how much he hates dreams and pours a fresh pot of coffee. Or rather, he doesn't pour the pot of coffee. He pours himself a mug of coffee. Pours himself a fresh mug of coffee. It must have been either on all night or he had it hooked up to a timer or something. He takes a sip. He's just super happy and glad to be awake and on that horrific dream. And then we hear Dr. Synapse's voice saying, Good morning, Mr. Bigelow. And then he grabs his little cup and holds it to his chest and walks over to the TV where you see Dr. Synapse's face. And then he says the most horrible words. Today, we're going to do a little work on your addiction to caffeine. Cue the dramatic music. Big Galow slowly turns around. All of everything is gone again. And then all of a sudden the windows open. We do not see the windows themselves, but we do see the light splashing across Bigelow and the walls and the bars that are clearly visible in the shadows cast by the windows. He drops the mug when this happens and Dr. Synapsis. Very promising beginning, Mr. Bigelow. Very promising. And then it ends. (laughs) So to me, that's just the most horrific ending imaginable. (laughs) Yes, Valina was a three cups a day kind of person (laughs) before... Yeah, before this... The, before the incident. Yeah, before I had to go through this program, now only two cups a day. <laughs> so 33% effective. <laughs> well, they got me to get rid of one cup of coffee. You just can't get rid of it all. Uh. Okay, so... Now, we're going to sort of go straight into discussion here with figuring out where the literal hell is he. Is well, sim- he... Simulacrum. Yes, but what is that? You know what? I have the theory that works around this. Explain and... it to me. Argue the point. I want to so know. So based off of small pieces of evidence throughout the episode, I've come to the headcanon conclusion. I, this may be canon as far as I know, but from what you get to know from the episode and certain responses to certain questions that Mr. Synapse gives on top of things like (laughs) Dr. Synapse being named as he is. Start with one. That Mr. Bigelow is trapped in a mental recreation of his own house and the program is done inside of his dreams. We think he's in the Matrix. Basically. Mixed with Inception. Yeah, so the Matrix. <laughs> but I, I'm going to use the Matrix more as a comparison, just because of other people's ability to communicate with him while he's there. Now, uh, almost think about this like when both Morpheus and Neo are in the training area of the Matrix when he teaches him Kung Fu. It's like this little safe point where they can control the entire environment and they can control themselves. But it's more like if Morpheus was the one in utter control and Neo was just sort of there, right? Which is kind of the case with the robots in general and just the denizens of the Matrix. So that's the kind of visual Visual, space you want to kind of imagine him to be, at least in our theory. 
because, well, there's certain points, I think. So what were your points going to be about why you think this? Like, what hints in the episode actually point to this being the case? Well, considering the very bizarre situation with just random things appearing and disappearing at will, that being a big part of it, the fact that you cannot see outside of the apartment whatsoever, that all that exists is inside the apartment. The impossibility of the camera work. Yeah. That is absolutely one. That's meant to sort of jar us out of his perspective, right? Because we stop seeing Bigelow as a character in his life but a character on television so we have this sort of like departure from the immediacy of his situation by viewing him through the camera which is a pretty interesting point of view for sure but it does sort of serve to make it feel a lot less real yeah and that was another point i was going to bring up too with how uh dr synapse looks at uh, mr bigelow Mm -hmm. through the television which in the theory that i have is Not necessarily like an actual television, but rather a dream rationalization of something that is happening to his body or in real life. Hmm. So basically the television is a two-way mirror, or it's a two-way, it's a window, (laughs) into (laughs) Mr. Bigelow's mind that can be turned off at will by the people in in real life (laughs) in control of the simulacrum. Mm Mm-hmm. So outside influences affecting what's happening in the dream. That's why things can appear and disappear at will. They can remove everything out of the house at a moment's notice. They can do weird punishment that doesn't visually seem to hurt him, Mm -hmm. but seems to do a lot of, quote unquote, damage whenever it's done. Well, mental damage or emotional damage. That's what I'm saying, (laughs) yeah. So that's an important part because the camera's not there and the screen... And a lot of the shots where it's just the television screen looking at stuff happening in Mr. Bigelow's apartment, we can almost imagine that being in real life looking at him in his dream. And one of the final parts, I think is the biggest supporter of this, is an almost addressing of that directly, saying... With Mr. Bigelow said something earlier that was along the lines of, this has got to be a dream or something. And... (laughs) What was... Uh, he says, Dr. I'm not a dream. <laughs> yeah, I am no dream. Uh-huh. And it's like, well, that proves that he's not a dream. Yeah, and <laughs> that that actually is like... I didn't even catch that the first time around, but it's a little too odd because Bigelow did not say you're a dream. He said, this is a dream. So it would have been more natural for the doctors to say, no, this isn't a dream because that would be a direct response. But he doesn't say that. He says... I am no dream. So he's kind of slyly confirming the fact that this is actually a dream. Mm-hmm. That what is physically happening to Bigelow is all in his head. I mean, technically it is truly happening to him, but not in a physical way. Yeah. You know, sort of like what happens to you in the Matrix is on your mind, but, you know, you can still die. <laughs> so, you know, he can wake up out of this and his addiction will be cured, mm-hmm. you know, but he's... He's still going to have to go through a lot of horrific mental anguish before he can. That's what we think. So, and I I think that's probably intended, of course, given all what we said. It could be argued, maybe, that he's in a real room and they just have a magical way of getting rid of his stuff. Like, I don't know. It depends on how much you're willing to believe in magic in this episode. Uh Uh-huh. 
I mean, there's the simulacrum, which is very sci-fi word as opposed to a magical one. So, you know, I th- I'm going to lean on the sci-fi aspect here and say mm-hmm. it is the matrixy simulation. Okay. And also, too, Anzaki mentioned that this was important, but did not explain why. But Dr. Synapsis's name is clearly a, like a synapse, right? It, it's mm-hmm. the space between two neurons, which kind of implies that he's like a neurologist. Or, I mean, clearly he's like a behavioral psychologist, but with this sort of specialty regarding the brain. So it's possible that what he's doing is actually like an invasive brain technique that is actually getting into his brain, into his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, our next point of discussion I want to talk about is what do you think about the ethics at play here? I have a lot to say about this, (laughs) but what do you have to say? What do you think about how ethical this treatment is? Do you think what he's doing, if he signed up for it, is perfectly fine or not? I mean, legally, yeah, it's perfectly fine. They agreed to it, and it's not physically harming the person in any way, if it's a dream. But, of course, that also begs the question of, like, where's the line for mental torture (laughs) for ethics in getting something done that will help their health in the long run, technically. Because he's getting rid of the addiction of smoking, which will kill him eventually. So... It can. Yeah, it can. But my point is that how much of the means justify the ends? Like, it's just torturing this person mentally in a simulation to get them to quit smoking. kind of feel like that's a bit shaky, but on purely legal grounds... That is 110% okay. Okay, now I'm going to chip in. It actually isn't. <laughs> because in order for you to sign a contract to act like that, you have to be able to back out. And keep in mind, this isn't some weird legal contract. Like, it's not just a legal contract. It is a health one. It's a medical one. He said he's a doctor and that this is a treatment center. He's called a doctor, which means that he cannot force his patients into treatment. It does not matter what he signed because he did not sign a contract that says no matter how much I beg. You know what I mean? Like he has no idea what it's going to be like. All of this came as a surprise to him. He was not informed anything about what was going to happen. He has not been briefed at all on what this treatment consisted of. It came as a surprise. He would get sued so thoroughly he would not even be able to play a doctor on the board game operation okay like (laughs) it is just not a thing he'd be able to do okay like for example and this is maybe even an example of like the legal version quote unquote but an escape room you're locked in a room for an hour if i pay actual money okay actual money to go in there and heck, I could even sign a contract that, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, exchanging my money to be trapped in this room for an hour. Do you think they will literally lock me in there? The answer is no. The doors are unlocked. If I needed to go to the bathroom, I could absolutely do so because they do not have the legal power to lock me in there. And I mean, I'm not a lawyer here, but you actually cannot hold somebody against their will. It doesn't matter what they put in writing, because even if you say yes here, if you change your mind down the way, you're revoking that. Just because you wrote that down then doesn't mean that holds up here, at least in a medical thing like that. You can always revoke consent. That is part of the ability to consent to treatment, especially psychiatric ones. Unless, of course, 
you get your rights to decide for your own well-being revoked. But that is would simply not be with Bigelow's case, unless this is some hideous dystopian future where addictions to cigarettes and caffeine count you as psychiatrically disturbed enough to not be able to make your own choices, which it certainly, I mean, isn't in real life, but it would not be legal to do. So yeah, what he's doing is very illegal and unethical. Yeah, I would have never known that. I don't. I, <laughs> I did I don't want you. I know, I know. I wanted to know what you thought about that because honestly, that's probably what most people would think. Oh, he signed it, you know. And it's like, no, you know, you you can't not. You that that's just so unethical, and, and for the reasons I just described, of course. But yeah, so it is not legal. <laughs> what he's doing is wrong. <laughs> so yes, that feeling of shakiness was was legit. Oh my gosh, it wouldn't be kind of funny if this isn't some sort of a very sly anti-anti-cigarette commercial campaign like if you have people who are like sick of listening to oh anti-cigarette propaganda i mean not necessarily that they're gonna be trying to argue that it's good for you but you know just always hearing that it's really bad if this is sort of about that because at the end it also kind of puts caffeine in the same exact boat which anyone would know was nowhere near as bad right I mean, even if they t- went to tell me, hey, you know what, you know, caffeine causes, like, stomach cancer, I'll probably still drink it till the day I die, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, like, if you're someone who is, like, always smoking cigarettes until you get to a point in your culture where you realize, oh, it's bad, you know, because there, there was a point where, like, pregnant moms would be smoking because they did not know how bad it was for the baby, they didn't know that that was bad for them, you know, it was just something everyone did. So if maybe Bigelow is in that point, where he was, like, when he was younger, it wasn't such a, a thing that cigarettes were bad, or at least not well known. And all of a sudden, it became, like, worse, right? Until he's, like, literally forced by messages on the television to stop smoking, right? And then the caffeine is sort of the ending, because in the 80s, right, people would know that smoking is bad. And, of course, caffeine is not bad. But this being the future... Maybe it is a future where they realize something is horribly wrong with caffeine. Like, caffeine does cause horrible things. So what if it's a comment like that? I doubt it. But I feel like the ending is supposed to be a kind of nightmare twist of just like, oh my god, caffeine, what next, sugar? No, but- You know, like, that's that's the kind of, like, scary thing. Because, like, you know, not everybody smokes, but, like, a lot more people need caffeine. But- But what I was saying with that is that it's more of that social idea, right? Yeah, yeah. At some point, cigarettes were just as okay as caffeine was, right? Everyone drinks coffee. It does nothing wrong with it, right? But, you know, cigarettes are horrible and evil. Death sticks. And, like, at some point in our culture, that was not the case. And maybe by throwing caffeine into the mix... To our sensibilities, right, that is horrifying because there's nothing wrong with caffeine. But maybe someday that will be us, you know, or rather me. <laughs> I'll be like the one who's like refusing to give up caffeine when, you know, everyone says it causes all these horrible cancers, you know. And that could very well be the case. So it's that same sense of horror, even though Bigelow's already went through it once with cigarettes. It's that kind of, like, possibility that you never really know what will be discovered having horrific effects in the future. So that's what I kind of meant by that. Not really that it is 100% intended to be, oh, caffeine is bad. 
it's playing off that sense that like caffeine could be next, you know, I, I just, that's what I, I I'm thinking maybe. Because just imagining how awful that would be if you're, like, watching commercials about the horrors of caffeine. If all those anti-cigarette commercials were, like, anti-caffeine commercials. Just nightmarish, man. I don't think I could live in a world like that. Okay, Valina. How many packs a day would you rate this episode? I would rate this at four packs a day. Maybe four cups of coffee. (laughs) I actually feel like I just made myself sad. <laughs> I just feel like this is such a downer now. Just imagining this horrific world where coffee is just bad. It could happen. It could. Please, scientists out there, do not, do not study coffee. Give me this. Do it after I die. Actually, I can study all they want. I'll just die with the coffee. So what makes this episode four out of five? Um, honestly, I... <laughs> This is probably, like, really telling on the rest of this series, but I really like that they show us and do not tell us. That Mm. they allow the actors to convey what is happening and what they're thinking with their actions and not idiot dialogue. (laughs) Because seriously, any other episode would have been like, oh, I don't hear a dial tone. The phone must be broken. We don't hear that. Piccolo doesn't need to say that. He conveys this with his frustrated expressions and tossing the phone down. Like, this episode actually does, in fact, assume that you, the viewer, has a brain. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I very much appreciate that. That's really great. Okay? So that's one whole entire star it earned by that alone. The rest of it is I freaking love Bigelow. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like, he's just... Something about him... It's not like he has a whole lot of dialogue. I mean, it's really just him versus the other guy. But b- literally, the both of them are so full of personality in what they're doing You know, like, the doctor is really kind of menacing while somehow being, like, perfectly good intentioned, Mm -hmm. you know? But, like, him going against the other guy, he just just wants a freaking cigarette. Like, it's, it's very much a cruel procedure that is occurring. Stopping anyone cold turkey is bad enough. You know, you should wean someone off of it for crying aloud. But just this pairing of horrific, like alarms taking his stuff away it's just horrible and invasive and i couldn't imagine ever feeling safe in your apartment again after going through such horrible things like your entire apartment would be like horrible it would no longer feel safe you know like you would feel like any second now you're gonna wake up and you're gonna have all your stuff going and alarms gonna be going off what are they gonna take away from me today my addiction to water so what you're saying is is that the episode is scary yes (laughs) it's also terrifying in a way you would not expect okay and that's what gains it more stars okay the characters the actual kind of just bone deep fear of having the things you love taken away from you the acting i like the characters and stuff you know it's just it's just all great this episode's really great the only reason it's it's not a full five stars is because there is no cannibalism <laughs> okay if you <laughs> I'm just, I'm just don't like giving out these five stars, okay? Like five stars is pure perfection, okay? And that is either something that contains cannibalism or it's better for another reason. Um, I'll say I definitely did enjoy it. I do think it is one of the strongest, if not the strongest, episode in season one. The I, there are strong contenders. I said, if not the strongest, then one of the strongest. Uh... You utterly lost me with that. What did I... 
Okay, I did, in fact, give anniversary dinner five stars and literally nothing else. Yeah, that that's one of the ones that I was saying is one <gasps> is of the it? best. Okay. Something has four and a half stars. Snip, snip, I gave four and a half stars. In Inside the Closet, for sure. So what you're saying is those episodes are better than Bigelow's Lost Smoke. Inside the Closet? Yeah, it is a pretty good it's, one. It's, it's iconic. Yes. Okay. I would definitely recommend this one, though, for sure. This is one of the very few episodes that doesn't rely on some definite antagonistic force that is, like, pure evil. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, the antagonism in this episode comes in a positive route, technically. The Doctor, who is about as unequivocally the villain as possible is trying to help him, but it is in the worst possible means to that end. So, in a way, it's like you can't really hate him because he's doing his job. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it turns out to be a really good episode. A lot of interesting visual choices and a lot of dreamlike things that are very difficult to accomplish in budget 80s television, but they managed to do it very well in this episode, and I have to applaud them for that. I yeah. highly recommend this episode. Even if you were doing a speed run of Tales from the Dark Side, this is one to watch. Yeah. And if you are yourself a cigarette smoker, it might be even more terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, like as as a non-cigarette smoker, this is pretty horrifying and just like feel really cruel because it's like he he only he only said for information. He didn't sign up because <laughs> he signed the wrong paper. Dang. Now that we have finished with Bigelow's last smoke, what is the next episode that we have to tackle in this series? Oh boy, folks, grab your aspirin because a similarly titled episode, Grandma's Last Wish, is next. And boy, howdy, if you like screaming and yelling and shouting and hooting and hollering, you're going to love this episode. Oh my God. If you don't, God help you. Oh god, this sucks so much. I it's <laughs> it's so not good. As good as Bigelow's last smoke is, Grandma's last wish is bad. It's <laughs> it, it is the equal and opposite reaction to the goodness uh that is Bigelow's last smoke. Yeah. They definitely wanted to end this season on a whimper. And though no, it's not the season finale though. No, no, no. There's two more, but both suck. Yes. For different reasons. Actually, I'm going to hold it by saying the last episode sucks because I feel like the first time I watched it, I I hated it with a burning passion. I watched it the second time and I'm like, you know what? I have a lot to talk about. So now my like opinion is kind of moving up to be more positive. So we'll we'll have to see. The jury's still out. But, the, the, but Grandma's Last Wish is so obnoxious. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait because... I don't have to recount a single thing that happens in that episode. Aren't I lucky? (laughs) So, Valina, if you want to kick the habit, where will you find us? Well, if you want to sign up for our very special patent-pending addiction-breaking program, you can send in your paperwork to thishousepodcast at gmail.com. But if you don't stop drinking coffee, you will not leave This House Podcast on Instagram ever. Please rate and review us on iTunes. And subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We have a 100% success rate in being enjoyed. At least by us. <laughs> we enjoy this immensely. <laughs> we hope you do too. 
but not enough to get an addiction. <laughs> we have to put a stop to that. Or else we'll have to punish you. But that's all for tonight's episode. So, listeners, before we overload you with smoking demerits... Boom higher. It's your lungs on air. Let your lungs on smoke. See the difference, man? It's gonna stunt your growth all over. You end up winding that dang old hospital bed like Morton Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. Even worse, man. Yo, think talk about oral gratification, all that dang. It's gonna give you low sperm count, man. Give them ear hair. Yo, it just ain't ain't no good. <laughs>